Welcome to the podcast of Revival Life Church, a spirit-filled multicultural church in Boca Raton, Florida. If you would like more information about Revival Life Church or Pastor Carl Thomas, you can find us on the web at revivallife.church. My beautiful bride, my bride, we've gotten to a place in life where we can just be honest and not be offended. That's a good place in a marriage where you can know each other and be honest. And a couple months ago, my wife said, hey, honey, I love you. And I said, you, you know when, when that, a conversation starts like that? I love you. I'm like, okay. And she's like, I want to be with the babies. And I'm like, we ain't having no babies. Like, I am well beyond baby age. She goes, no, I want to serve with the babies. Uh, I want to be in the rotation at Revival Life Church. I said, oh, okay. And she's like, you need me on Sunday morning. She runs the pre-service meeting. She gets things ready. She sits there and laughs at my jokes. She tells me to cut off stories. Uh, and, um, and so she started uh, serving with the babies. And my wife, my wife loves some babies. Now they become a problem at a little older, and she's not as excited about that as am I. And then they become somebody I want to hang out with again, right? So my wife is actually fine. She is well. She's actually in her happy place with the babies right now. I want to tell you also, some of you need to be serving with the children. As your pastor, you need to be serving God. You need to come regularly and serve the body of Christ. Uh, Duke talked about having coming to church with an uh, 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 offering. So you have your check that you come with, spiritually, could be electronically. You also come with your withdrawal slip, right? So we come expecting to receive, and we come expecting to sow. And so in our sowing, we need to sow financially. We need to sow in our serving. We need to sow in love. We need to sow in hospitality. And if you've been blessed at Revival Life Church, it's time to serve, right? We love people coming here who aren't part of the church. It's a huge part of who we've always been. And so you're here to get saved or you're here to serve people. That's why you're here. And so if you're not saved, hey, man, today could be the day. But if you're saved, it's time to serve. Amen. And so they could use somebody back there, but if you haven't served yet, uh, we need people and greeters and ushers, and we will create places for you to serve because people need to sow into God. Y'all don't have to amen me. I know this to be the truth. I know how God blesses those who serve His body. I just, I just know it. I know it. Amen? Do you have a testimony? I have a testimony that God blesses those who serve Him. I want to talk to you today about climbing the mountain of faith. We're going to talk about climbing the mountain of faith. And uh, we have coming to the end of our Abraham message series. I'm closing it out today, Duke. This is the last message in the Abraham message series. I believe the Lord has been speaking to us prophetically the last several weeks. Not sure if you have caught that. I hope you have in your spirit just kind of known like, man, God is doing something. Have you sensed that? Have you sensed the sense of purpose begin to, to bubble up in you? Let me tell you how you might have experienced it. <clears throat> You may have had a little bit more expectation of good things coming in your life. You, you may have experienced like a little hope that you had not experienced before. Maybe you want to start some new things that you hadn't thought of starting in the past, or you thought of starting them, but you didn't take that step. That's because faith has been being imparted in this message series. Abraham is the father of faith, and as you've come faithfully to sit under the Word of God, God has begun to do some things in your life by the 
Spirit that is getting your life to begin moving in the direction God has for you. Many people do not understand that your life is more spiritual than you think. I'm going to keep preaching, and at some point, you're going to preach back to me. Amen. That's what's going to happen. We're going to come into agreement. I'm going to preach, and you're going to say, that's what's going to happen. And so for some of you, 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 didn't, you haven't been taught faith. You haven't learned to recognize faith. Some, so sometimes we just think like, we're just here in the world, and uh, everything that you do actually came from your own brain. As if there's a God out there who's not actually connected, pulling the strings in the world. But God is actually at work in your life when you sit under the preached Word of God. When you come here, something supernatural happens in the preaching, and uh, God's presence is at work. And as I preach the anointed Word of God, the Spirit of God on the inside of you decodes that message in a way you need to hear it. And the Spirit of God begins working on your spirit, man, and in your soul. And ideas start to pop in your head. And you start thinking that, man, I'm, I'm, I, I, I don't come up with something. And God is like, no, you don't lined up like Duke talked about. You don't lined up with his way of doing things in your life so that he could do something new in you. And the evidence is that new ideas are coming and new, uh, new creative Things are coming into your life. You're beginning to make steps in areas where you hadn't made steps before. And maybe you're having some uncomfortable conversations with people that you've been scared to have. It's because you no longer are catastrophizing the conversation, but there's a Holy Ghost boldness coming upon you to have some uncomfortable conversations with people so your life can get better. This is all evidence of God's work in your life. Amen? This is what we have been doing. I'm not just up here like, I, I, don't, I don't just play Bible roulette every week. I don't like wake up on Friday and be like, I think I'll talk about the conquest of AI this week. You know, see, we actually, we pray, we hear the Lord, I read the lectionary, I find out what the church all over the globe is preaching, and then I go to God and I'm like, God, what is it that you want me to talk about? I have meetings with my bishop who says, here's what I see happening in your house. This is something you need to look into. And I talk to the people around me and we pray and I hear God and God feel like, man, I see God wants to do this, but the people aren't seeing it. And the Lord is like, that's because you haven't taught it. And I'm like, good, okay, God, I will go ahead and create a framework for them to carry this blessing that you have for them. And so some of you start catching it in the basket, not understanding that I've been cooperating with the Holy Ghost to give you a framework to catch the blessing in your life. Now, at Revival Life Church, we don't, um, we don't, we don't, we don't, um, we don't do the ego thing. We don't, we're not big on the ego thing. We don't um, have special golden chairs for leaders. We, the, the leaders don't, you know, have really funny uh, titles. Well, I say funny, they're forgetting Jesus. I don't mean to mock others. But we don't, we, it's not how we do it. Uh, we believe that there is Jesus, and then there's us, right? At the same point, there are people who carry an anointing to do something in your life. And it's your job to honor them. It's not us, it's not our job to tell you to honor them. It's your job. You get to receive whatever you want. And, 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 and you receive a good man... In the name of a good man, you receive a good man's reward. If you receive a prophet, in the name of a prophet, you get a prophet's reward. And so those who will recognize those avenues of blessing and will make room in your life to position yourself to receive it, God will begin to move in your life. Now, now you, oh, I'll talk about that a little later. Amen. 
Jesus. Hallelujah. The anointing's here. Duke them preached. I'm like, oh, the preacher's on Duke. Uh-oh, we may never get out of the offering. The preacher's on Chelsea. I said, uh-oh, we may never get out of the, out of the announcements. Now the preacher's on Carl. I may never get out of the introduction. <clears throat> We're coming to the end of this uh, passage of Genesis where we learn about the life of Abraham. And as, as we read the Bible, and I don't have full time to unpack this, but uh, we've got to understand the purpose of what Genesis was written for. The, uh, the book of Genesis, it's, it's, it, you don't read it like an encyclopedia. You don't, you don't, you don't read it like a, a novel. It was written in later days by rabbis for a certain point. And as the rabbis told the story of the history of the Jewish people, uh, it was carried for hundreds of years, orally taught, father to son, son to grandson. This is taught down through the ages. The rabbis taught it. The priests taught it. And they carried the story the important parts of the story so that later people could understand their identity and walk in what they considered were the important highlights of the God story. And so the book of Genesis is a theological commentary on man's relationship with God as God established a God people on the earth. In the midst of this story, we see that eventually God creates a people of His own. We know them as the Jews. They were called the Israelites or the Hebrews. And among this was all started with a man named Abram. God changed His name to Abraham, promised him that he would have a son even though his wife was barren. And so the very establishment of God's relationship with man on the earth was to be supernatural. It was to be fertile. It was to be the God who brings breakthrough where there is barrenness. This is how God chose to introduce Himself to the world. We have to remember that. This is who God is. And so Abraham uh, eventually has this boy named Isaac after many years of trial and tribulation. And eventually God says, why don't you go ahead and sacrifice your son? Now, if you do not understand the story of Abraham, you're going to interpret this entire story wrong. So I am going to give you a brief overview of how we got to Isaac and what it means for you. You say amen. This is what we're going to do today. And today we are going to talk about climbing the mountain of faith. God knew that Abram always had a capacity for faith. We don't understand why God knew this, but we understand as we study the Bible, uh, as Stanley spoke, uh, we didn't find God. God found us. God was never lost. God was never confused. God birthed us on this planet. And even if He didn't look for you or at you for 10 or 15 years, He knew pretty much you were probably still on the planet. He knew exactly where you were at all times on earth. And so man just kind of wanders and does his own thing. And God is constantly trying to interact 
with his creation. Now, before Abraham, we know that there was a, a the, the, the story tells us that God started over with creation with a flood. And after the flood, there were descendants. And then these people decided that they would build their own way to God. The Bible calls this story the Tower of Babel. Babel is another word for confusion. And so when we try to build our own way to God, we have built a system of confusion. Have you ever talked to anybody who says, well, I have my own relationship with God. I have my own theories of God. And you're like, oh, that's amazing. That is just explain to me this religion that you've invented. Please, as you have studied all the, all the religions of the world and you've had encounters with the divine and, 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 and all of this, which clearly was more well thought out than, I don't know, 4,000 years of Judeo-Christian thought and scholarship, explain to me this thing. I just feel like we're supposed to be good people. Oh, that's, that's, wow, that's really profound. Nobody's ever thought of that. That's amazing. Who defines good? Well, I just think, oh, you do. Okay, so you're the God of this religion. That's amazing. So what do you do with your sin? Well, I don't believe, oh, no, the not good. I mean, okay, I know you don't want to call it sin, but the not good, I'll use the biblical phrase sin. What do you do with that sin? Oh, I just believe that if you do good... Oh, so you just try to ignore it. You carry it like cancer, but just try to put on some fat to cover the cancer tumor. I, that, that, that is your religion. Your religion is that I carry bad stuff, but if I do enough good stuff, then the good stuff will be like a fat suit over my cancer of bad stuff, and then I somehow become good by what I did to myself. But you're the self who made yourself bad, but then you make yourself good. By this. Does this make sense to you, really? Does this really make sense to you? And so this is what they said. I will build my own tower to God. And God is like, y'all are fools. This is Babel. This is confusion. Y'all, this is like, this, this, this don't make no kind of sense. You know, you know what I'm talking about here. This don't make no sense. And so God said, I am going to start with my own people. I'm going to start with a man named Abram who is married to a woman who could not have children. What I need you to know from this story is that God decided to start with people who could not be successful without Him. I, I need you to hear this. I, 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 I am, um, I am I'm 51 years old, I think. I, I believe I am. I have to ask my wife normally. That's where I'm at now. I have to ask her how many years we've been married, and I've got to ask her. I know that I'm married. Sometimes I forget how long I've been married. It's a long time. I just say over 20 years now. That's what I say. We've been married over 20 years. And I'm over 50. And there is a, man, those of you um, who are getting in your 30s and 40s, i got to tell you, I'm enjoying 50. I'm enjoying the 50. 50's Pentecost, number one. Uh, that's when the Spirit came on the church. And I feel a liberty in this age that feels good. i got enough education to know what I'm talking about. I got enough life experience to know what stupidity looks like, and I got and I'm, and I'm far enough into this race to not care what that the people who want to love stupidity think, right? I'm 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 gonna put out some good food, and you can eat garbage if you want, but I am gonna serve some steak. You want to order pizza? That's between you and Jesus, right? And so so I, I am I am at this place now, and so God started with like we are in a Christian celebrity culture today. You do not know this, but you are counter-cultural. 
If you're a part of this house, you are called to be counter-cultural. There is a day and age where they want to put people on this platform who live lives and talk like they don't actually need Jesus. They are so awesome and so smart and such great leaders and so good-looking and their wife is so smoking hot that they don't actually need Jesus. And if you follow them, you'll learn how to not need Jesus too. And I'm here to let you know it is a tower of Babel. It will not last. It's like eating cotton candy all night at the fair, thinking I'm having the greatest time of my life. And then you get home, and you think you're having an anxiety attack because there's so much sugar going through your body, and you wake up the next day with stomach cramps, and you're saying, oh, eating must be bad. No, eating garbage is bad. Eating a good meal actually makes you feel better. Come on, somebody. And so, so I, I, I'm, I'm done chasing celebrity Christianity. I'm, I'm done with the nonsense. I don't, oh, Jesus, I'm going to stay on the message now. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Shabbat. Hallelujah. Now I'm going to stay focused right now. So God came to Abraham, who was just a wandering dude. He was there for the Tower of Babel. People were scattered. And, 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 and his dad somehow knew that they need to leave. And they need to find a new city. He didn't know how. He didn't know why. But Abraham, the father of faith, was following his father. Side note, I don't have time to unpack this. Don't follow anybody who thinks they don't need to be submitted to authority. They will lead you to a curse. Because what they're telling you is they are God. And they will lie. And they will make up their own stuff to get you to make them your God. And so here's Abraham. Watch this. The father of faith submitted to his dad. Following his dad away from their own city into a place he didn't even know where he was going. Abraham is showing us what it looks like to be submitted to authority. Not moving until authority tells you to. Throughout the story, he runs to and fro, and he comes back and he's learning I have a new authority now that my father has died and it is God and I'm not supposed to go places unless God has told me. Some of you, that's just all you need right there. Like, I'm not moving until some people who speak into my life give me your affirmation. I'm, I'm trying to, this, is, this will help you. And so in Genesis 15, God shows up in Abraham's life. Genesis 15, 6. He, Genesis, God visited him. God spoke to Abraham. And Abraham believed God. And the Bible says... Then Abraham believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. That means that God looked at Abraham and said, the fact that you believed in me, you are now righteous. Here's what we call this in theological circles. It's called faith for justification. That's a Bible term. It's a theological term. It means to be justified. Justified, this is what happens when you believe in Christ. Justification is our acceptance before God as not guilty because our sins are no longer counted against us. When Jesus died on the cross for your sins, your sins are no longer counted against you. You have been justified. If you are convicted of a crime and you go to prison and you serve your time, you get out, you're no longer worried about that crime because you're now justified by what you did to pay the penalty for that crime. Does that make sense? 
so like you can live your whole life scared that you're going to get caught for doing that crime. And then you get caught. There's people who like committed a terrible crime in their childhood or in their early 20s. And they go on the run for 20 years. Then they catch them in their 40s and 50s. And they're like, i got to tell you, there's a weight off my shoulder now because now it's finally going to be dealt with. Right? And so this, then they go to prison. They get out. Now they don't have to worry about it anymore. This is justification. My wrongdoings have been taken care of. It, my debt has been fulfilled. This is what happens when you give your life to Christ. When you give your life to Christ, you have faith for justification. You have been justified before God that your sins are no longer counted against you. Paul talked about it this way in Romans chapter 4, starting in verse 2. He said, For if Abraham was justified by works... He has something to brag about, but not before God. For it, what, it, for what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accredited to him as righteousness. That means that Abraham didn't earn it. This is the insanity of a Christian thinking they're better than somebody else because they're saved. We didn't do anything. That's God who saved us. Like, like the, the thought that because I'm Christian, I get to tell other people what to do is insane. No, no. It, 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 the only thing we can say is, you should probably meet Jesus. That, that's what we get to say. You should probably meet Jesus because he's been good. Let me tell you what he did in my life. But the thought that because God justified us, we get to be above other people is antithetical to the gospel. If anything, it means that we're called to serve other people because they have not received the grace that we've received. Therefore, we would be more forgiving, more loving, more serving, more low to them, not worried about me getting what's due me because God said He would take care of me. This is what justification means. Justification means that I've been accepted before God. This gives you freedom. It means I'm not trying to earn God's love anymore. This is what... <laughs> I don't have to work to be right with God like these people who invent their own New Age religion. If I just do enough good, then it covers my bad. I can never do enough good to cover my bad Jesus was good, and He has washed away my bad. And unfortunately, this is where most Christians live. This is the level of faith most Christians ever rise to. This, this, this is the high watermark of many Christian movements today. If we just get people to get faith for justification, the more the better, that's great. And I'm here to let you know you're called to something more. I was... Um, I remember I was in my I was in my twenties and I lived a terrible life. I was I was far from God, but I later found out God wasn't far from me. I was living in all kind of sin and and uh, and, and 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 I knew I was a sinner, uh, and but I was at a life crisis. I was at a, a crisis point in my life. I wasn't you know um, I wasn't going to jail and I wasn't sick, but internally, something was happening, and I, and I could not figure out what it was. And, and I had met Jesus when I was eight with a sovereign encounter. I'll talk about some other time. The Lord visited me uh, and took me places when I was eight years old. And uh, from that moment on, I knew that Jesus Christ was my Savior. I knew that we had a relationship, but that's all I knew. That didn't affect my life in any way, other than I had this internal witness that he and I were connected, right? And so I lived a foul life, but I knew that Jesus 
was my Savior. And, and one day I had, um, I had gotten out of the military and I had um, gotten my associate's degree, which just shocked me that I could go to school, uh, studies that I could learn. And then I um, was, went to a college in uh, Washington, D.C., and the Lord had called me to uh, move to Gainesville. Even though I was living foul and had no relationship with him, I knew that where he was telling me to go to school, which sounds crazy. Like, why didn't he tell me, like, hey, get out of that sinful relationship. Hey, you should probably stop talking this way. Hey, stop cheating on people you are in relationships with. Right? Like, you would think that's what God is talking about. But that's not what God was talking about. What God was talking to me about was getting me positioned to receive the fullness of Christ. Jesus will talk about those things which necessitate other things. Those things which facilitate other things. God is thinking strategically where we're thinking very shallow. We're thinking babble. He's, think, he's thinking 40 chess, right? And so God is talking to me, you know, you need to move to Gainesville, Florida. And I'm like, I don't want to move to Gainesville, Florida. Um, I, I want to live in Washington, D.C. And and then God made it clear that what I wanted wasn't really mattered. And um, like God is tend to do, excuse me, I just want to fix my, my mic here, which is why I become a gun. Uh, and so, and so I, uh, I did, I, I did it. I packed up everything, and I um, was moving, and um, I, I had all my stuff together, and I began talking to God, and I said, God, you know what, what, what is it you called me to do? I know you called me to do something. I don't, I don't know, like, I don't know what this life is for. And as, as clearly as you hear my voice, the Lord spoke to me, and the Lord said, Your calling will be revealed once your faith has been made pure. Now that sounds profound. But I didn't have any idea what that meant. I, didn't, I mean, I had no grid for what he was talking about. But I knew that I knew that I knew that he had just spoken to me. It was the third time in my life the Lord had spoken to me. first time was in a series of dreams when I was eight. The second time was when he had saved my life from being murdered. This was the third time I heard the Lord speaking to me. Your call will be revealed once your faith has been made pure. And I was like, what are you talking about, God? I remember talking to God like he was confused, right? Like, what are you talking about, God? I, I totally believe in you. I totally believe in you. And what I did not understand is I had faith for justification, and that was all I had. I had a belief in God. I had a faith. I had a connection that I knew I was saved-ish, uh, but I did not have a relationship with God where there was a dynamic giving of myself to Him and Him giving Himself fully to me where we lived in mutual life together. Does that make sense? And so here Abraham had, had by faith, uh, had been called righteous, but we see Abraham's life after that was still a mess. There was no evidence of a relationship with God. He's still running scared. He's still doing stupid stuff. He's sinning against his wife. Crazy stuff was happening. And then God visited Abraham again. We see in Genesis 17. Are you following along with me here? In Genesis 17, chapter 3, God visits Abram. And Abram rightly fell on his face. And God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you will be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. Now, 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 what God had spoken to me about my faith, my call being revealed once my faith had been made pure, you notice something here. Go back to verse 4, if you will. 
that's not, here we go. One more to three, I'm sorry. When Abraham encountered God, God fell on his face. There is a difference between happy, clappy relationship with Jesus and a reverential, I I detect the presence of God and His holiness causes me to react. Abraham fell on his face and worshipped God. Now we see that there is a a corresponding action to Abram's faith. And as he fell on his face, Abram got a new name. God changed his name, which doesn't just mean he changed his driver's license. It changes who he is before God. You see, there was a new level on this mountain of faith. He had climbed high enough to know that he had a relationship with God and his sins no longer defined him. But that was as far as his faith went. He was robbed of any real fruit in his relationship because he was still doing things on his own. Come on, somebody. There's a lot of people who say, I'm a Christian. But when you look at their life, they don't look like any kind of Christianity you've ever seen, right? There's a lot of people at awards ceremonies saying, oh, I just want to thank God for giving me this award. But any song they ever put out, you wouldn't know that they ever been to any church. Anybody know what I'm talking about right now? Like, there, there, there is a correspondence in your life once you've actually met Christ. God gives you a new name, and you don't want to violate that new identity. Oh, come on. Y'all, 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 y'all going to catch this at some point. Y'all going to catch this at some point, and, it, and, it, and it's, going, it's going to change how you view God. There's a new levelness thing. Now Abraham is called to something. Abraham didn't just receive this covenant. Now he's actually, come on somebody, now he's actually called to something. I have a lot of people tell me, oh no, I'm called to do this and I'm called to that. I'll be like, really? When did God call you to that? And they'll say, well, I just kind of feel like, Abraham knows when he was called. He don't fell on his face and heard the voice of God. Now, if you have been justified and you know that you're saved and you've not heard the call of God in your life, it's time to ask God for a little bit more. And when you're asking God for a little bit more of Him, He's saying, great, I'd like a little bit more of you, right? And as we give God a little bit more of us, He gives us a little bit more of Him, and then we get an actual call. There's people who come to me and they say, I, 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 I think I'm called to ministry. I'm like, you think you're called or you're not? And they're like, no, nah, I feel like I'm called. And I get out my phone. And I get my phone and I go through the little call log. You know, there's this thing on your phone. I don't know if you know this. There's an app on your phone where if you press it, you can call people. It's the least used app on most people's phones, right? Like we don't call people anymore. We text. But there's an actual phone call app. And so I go to my phone and I go to recent calls. And then and, and, and I show people the recent, I've done this more than once. I'm like, look, these people called me. I could tell you when they called me. I could tell you what we talked about. That's what it looks like to be called. Have you been called or have you not been called? You think somebody, they call that a phantom notification. That's when you reach in your pocket because you think that you got a notification and you look at it and there's nothing there. Anybody know what I'm talking about? This is a phenomenon now. It's called a phantom notification. You so expect it, you think it's happening, and you pull it out, and there's nothing there. You're like, that's weird. I, I saw something. You felt like you got called, but nothing actually happened. And so people think, like, I just, I just do what I feel like doing. No, no, the feel like is not our religion. Our religion is God speaks and we obey. 
I'm putting something inside you right now. I'm putting something inside the Duke. I'm putting something inside him right now. Well, right now we're plowing and I'm putting something on the inside of you. You can expect that God will call you and let you know what your real name is and what you've really been called to. And he'll give you grace to do it. Amen. So this is what I call when, when, God, when God shows up and he gives them the new name. I call this covenant-keeping faith. We, 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 had this, we, had this, we had this justification faith. Now I call it covenant-keeping faith. Now, 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 now things were required of Abraham. God spoke to him in that season and said, here's what you're going to do as a, as a sign of the faith. You're going you're to get circumcised and you're going to circumcise all your men. Now, I don't want to get graphic right now. But I don't know of anything more private you could do with another grown man than circumcision. There's familiarity. Then there's that, right? Like, we're going to get intimate right now. We're going to get fully intimate in a way that you don't carry the marks of this intimacy the rest of your life. Now, for you to do that to you, you better hurt God. Now, for you to do it to somebody else, you better not have only heard God, but people trust that you heard God. Now, now there's a requirement. Now, that, now, now but, but Abraham, imagine what you got to have going on in your spirit man to say, I'm going to go to the men who follow me and call me pastor. And I'm going to ask them to, you know, expose themselves in a way that I get to chop him, right? Like, and, and then they're going to feel like I'm closer to God because of this, right? Like, there's, there's, you got to laugh a little bit because this is a little crazy. This is a little, it's a little awkward, right? Like now we're getting awkward, right? Now, now, now. But this, but, 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 but Abraham had faith for obedience. Now, God had called him to something, and he's no longer wandering. There's faith for obedience now, and and that's the difference between religion and relationship. See, religion, religion tells you, I'm going to give you a bunch of rules, and if you follow my rules, you'll be right with God. And at Revival Life Church, if I can, if I can, if I can just be honest with you, um, there's an anointing in this house to set people free from religion. There's an anointing in this house that people who come from controlling ministries come, and they experience the anointing with freedom. There's something that happens when people grew up like in certain ethnic churches that are very controlling, and they come here and they're like, okay, Pastor, it was like, like, what are the rules? And I'm like, the rules are you're going to love God. The rules are you're going you're to be obedient to Him. Okay, yeah, but, but what about, and I, I, I had these conversations, can we wear pants? I'm like, bro, I'm not your tailor. I don't, I don't know, just, like, I'd like you to come dress. That would be nice. Like, we're not going to be that intimate. Uh, but I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to tell you what to wear. Um, can I read this version of the Bible? I'm like, as long as you're reading the Bible and it's not the Jehovah Witness one, I'm, we're good, right? Like, just read a real version. I don't care what version of the Bible you read. You read. And I've had people have a, have a meeting in my office, and they're like, they come from controlling church, and like, Pastor, uh, me and my wife had a fight, and they literally said these words, and we're ready for any punishment you have for us. I'm like, that's your marriage. Sabotage it if you want to. I'm, I got enough business with my own marriage. Like, you want me to help you get it better? I can help. But I'm, 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 I'm not your daddy. I'm already raising two kids. This is real. And so then they, 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 they gain a level of freedom 
And unfortunately, since they've lived under religion so long, they've not learned how to protect their relationship with God. And so they say, if there are no external rules, then it doesn't matter what I do. People who are faithful to God, going to church four days a week, were serving, were evangelizing because somebody was looking over them, taking count sheets of their hours, were punishing them if they weren't doing the right thing. All of a sudden, they learn freedom, and then they just throw everything good they ever learned out the window. And it breaks my heart because God had a call in these people's lives. Somebody who recognized it did not nurture it, instead abused it, and now people's relationship with God is shipwrecked. So they did not have the internal framework, the internal anointing to carry the anointing that was upon them. Nobody wanted to pour into who they were, wanted to use them for what they could do, and now all of a sudden they can't carry the anointing that's upon them and it's beginning to wreck their life. I've seen it so many times. I've seen it in so many ministries that people get a gift or that, oh, Jesus, let somebody have a leadership gift and start thinking it's them and not God, and they're able to carry some sort of leadership anointing, don't have the character for it, get offended, and shipwreck everybody's faith around them because they're offended. I'm telling you. And, and, and we, we, we just believe, like, you've got to have a relationship with Jesus. You better know who God is because nobody in this house is going to run your life for you. You are, like, you're not on your own because you want advice, we're here for you. But you're on your own. You can live however you want. You want to act a fool? Act a fool. You want to get a drug addiction? I recommend you don't, but that's between you and Jesus. You want to sabotage your marriage? I recommend you don't, but that's between you and Jesus. Ain't nobody calling you up, walking in your living room, telling you how to live. That is not what we see in the Scripture. You come, you submit to authority, you ask for counsel, counsel will be given to you. But you've got to be hungry and thirsty for righteousness. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. But now, some things were required of him. Are you guys good with me here? In this circumcision, without getting graphic, what God was doing was saying that every child that comes through you and yours will have to pass through the covenant to come into the, into the world. Every child passes through the covenant coming into life. That's what's happening. They're literally born into the covenant because it's impossible for them to come forth without having gone through the covenant. Now, I, I, I need you to hear this. Uh, I, I went to, um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a parent, grew up in not a good home. My wife grew up in not a good home. And it was our dream that our children grew up in a better home with more stuff than we had. You dream the same? You want the same? If you're a parent who's like, I don't want my kid to think they deserve stuff, just repent. Like, like, dream that your kids would be prettier than you, would be more popular than you, would be more confident than you, would be less fearful of poverty than you, would have better mental health than you. Do not feel threatened by successful kids. That's a word for somebody. Stop putting your kids down, right? Build them up. Build them up. Oh, but they got an ego. Let them have an ego. When they get older and they're like, people don't like me, you're like, let's talk about why. Let's, let's talk about maybe why. Don't, don't be the person they don't want to talk to because you've been the one putting them down, right? I went to Israel, and uh, part of my trip to Israel, we went with a family and we had um, Sabbath dinner at this family's home. And uh, every observant Jewish family all over the planet has Sabbath dinner together. And it's scripted. Uh, they have a meal 
uh, the family comes together and uh, they pray certain prayers. And then at the end, hear me, at the end of the Sabbath dinner, there are scripted prayers that are spoken over the children and over the house. Everywhere. And it happens every single week. And in, in, in for the girls, what they do is at the end of the Sabbath meal, the father walks over to the daughter, puts his hand, both hands on the daughter's head, and says, may God make you like Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and Leah. Happens every week. Like, this is identity spoken. Now, this, this blessing for girls, it asks God to make them righteous women of God. Just like the matriarchs of the Bible. These women serve as prime examples of how to be strong through difficult times, how to be faithful to God and to the family. So the average observant Jewish woman had her dad pray that she would be so amazing and so connected to God that thousands of years later, people would still be talking about the testimony. You think that might shape somebody? And then they go to the son. Some do the son, then the daughter. Some do the daughter, then the son. They put their hands on the head of the son. And they say, may God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. And you're like, well, those, that's a weird, that's a weird couple brothers to talk about. Let me tell you this. These brothers are the first brothers in the Bible who were raised without having beef with each other. The first brothers who were able to walk in unity. Now, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, they were all born in the promised land. These two brothers were born outside of the promised land as part of the diaspora, which we are. This is not our home. Our home is in heaven. We are here as pilgrims waiting to come into our promised land. These brothers were born outside of the promised land, not trying to tear each other down, not thinking if one succeeded, the other one was failing. They lived in unity keeping the covenant in a society that did not support their faith. Make our sons like Ephraim and Manasseh, at peace with the rest of the church, at peace with the world, keeping God's covenant. And then the father quotes Numbers 6, 24 and 26 over the children and the family. He says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance on you and give you peace. Now when a son gets older and he moves out of his house and he has his own children, every Sabbath he talks to his father and the father speaks his blessing over him. That shapes people. This kind of honoring, reverence, Honoring authority, honoring God will shape your children. It will shape communities. But this is what Abraham started when he started being faithful to God. When he stopped saying, like, I'm, I, if me and God are good, I'm, I'm forgiven, I'm saved, I'm a Christian. And he moved into, I'm going to start obeying God. I'm going to start putting God's stuff into practice. I'm going to start doing the hard things, and I'm going to start telling other people about God. I'm going to start telling people about my relationship with God. I'm going to start telling people God's ways, and I'm going to live it before them. That's the covenant-keeping 
faith. Listen, child of God, you are a child of the covenant. The Lord is speaking blessings over your life every time you Sabbath. The Bible says that Jesus is our Sabbath rest. And when you come into Sabbath rest with Jesus, you may not have a natural father speaking these things over you, but you have a father in heaven who is saying, this is my blessed child. May her raise up like Sarah. Let her be like Rebecca. Let him be like Manasseh. Let him be an overcoming. The Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you. Let his countenance be lifted up upon you and give you peace. Can you say amen? This is what you receive in the presence of Jesus. And when you move from just being happy to be saved into obedience with God, these are the blessings that start to move into your life. This is spiritual maturity. This, this, this is not being tossed to and fro by every wind. When Isaac came, Abraham's faith was mature in this. Earlier, his faith was rocked. He was doing stupid things. But by the time Abraham had Isaac, he'd unmatured in his faith. And this is what I want for us as a house. This is what I want for you. This is what I want for my family. A mature faith. Are you getting anything out of this? Isaac showed up on the scene, and Abraham had been walking this thing out for 25 years. God visits Abraham again. Visits him for the seventh time. Seven is the Hebrew number for perfection or maturity or finality. Like, now it's complete. There are seven days. Remember we talked about the seven lambs that Abraham bought the well back for. This is it. We're done. Now, now it's complete. On the seventh encounter that Abraham had with God, God tells him, take your beloved only son and up on the mountain and sacrifice him. And you're like, this, but this is, the whole promise was to come through Isaac. We don't been through so much for Isaac. But Abraham told his boy, son, it's time for an offering. And we see here in Genesis chapter 22, Abraham told Isaac, we're going to go to Mount Moriah to offer a sacrifice. And verse 7, Isaac spoke to Abraham's father and said, my father. And he said, here I am, son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Now, it's easy to think that Isaac was like, you know, five, six, seven. You could trick him. But if you do the math, he's probably about 30 at this point. Now, you, you, you're not fooling a 30-year-old. He, he's been around for a little while, right? Maybe, maybe 33, maybe 35, depending on how you do the math. But he's at least 30 at this point, And they're walking up Mount Moriah, carrying wood. Abraham's got fire. And they got no animal with them. And this is going to cause some family dynamic issues, you would think, right? Like, you would think one day Isaac's going to be on a couch with a therapist talking about this situation. You know what I'm talking about? Like, maybe this might scar a father-son relationship if his father had not been Abraham, the father of faith. Now, here's what I like to call miracle-working faith. Abraham was no longer being tossed to and fro like those he saw at the Tower of Babel. 
And he wasn't just justified running around lying about who his wife is at this point. Here is a God, he is a, he, he, he's a man who had covenant-keeping faith. When God tells me to do something, even if it's inconvenient, I'm going to do it. But when he says, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son, he has moved into miracle-working faith. And friend, i got to tell you, when you get to the mountaintop of faith, and you get to miracle-working faith, there's no shortcut. There's no tram. There's no trolley. There's no elevator. you got to climb that mountain with experience to get to miracle-working faith. you got to get to that top having toiled in the level of obedience before you can obey the miracle-working faith order. You say amen. This takes a little bit of working out. Abraham was with Isaac, and Isaac is walking with him. And all we can say is that Abraham had raised a man of faith at this point. He had come through the covenant, but God, through, I, I, through Abraham, had raised a boy of the covenant. He knew that God was a miracle-working God. I can imagine Abraham telling the story time and again. I was in a land that was not my own. And even when I was in sin, God promised me that through Sarah, I would have a child, and I didn't know how it was going to happen. And I'm going to be honest with you, son. One time I had sex with that, the, a woman that we own named Hagar, and I'm ashamed of it. But it's what I did because that's how I thought God was going to bring the blessing. But God, through the years, taught me that it's not about me. It's not about what I can muster up. It's about me radically trusting Him in things I don't understand. And when you go to the bathroom every day, you're going to notice that you're a boy of the covenant as well, because everything that comes through us is of the covenant, and we don't bleed the covenant, we don't birth the covenant, we live the covenant, we talk the covenant, we can trust God in the hard times, because when we thought we were barren, God spoke a covenant over us, and by His miracle-working power, He brought forth who you are today. And every time I see you walking down the mountain, I say, there goes the product of my covenant with God. And every time you show up to the dinner table, I say, hey, Sarah, look, it's the covenant of God and His faithfulness sitting with us. I know some of you got some memorials of the covenant. You wouldn't have gotten through that situation. You wouldn't have gotten through that trial. You wouldn't have gotten through that depression. You wouldn't have gotten through that season if God was not the covenant-keeping God and moving you into the belief that He's a miracle-working God. Can anybody testify right now? Can anybody testify that you have a... you? Come on, somebody. That you have a, a testimony. Come on, just give Him thanks for 10 seconds. I thank you that I didn't think I was going to make it through the season, but you showed yourself faithful. I thought I was going to give up. Come on, you got to have more thankfulness than that. I didn't think I was going to make it. I thought I was just going to be better if I died, but, uh, but, but you lifted the depression off of me. Just thank Him for a second. Wave a hand. Give Him thanks. I didn't think my marriage would survive. I didn't think I would stay with my kids. I didn't think that I would be faithful with God, but He done brought me through. I didn't know how I was going to pay the rent. I didn't know how I was going to get to school. I didn't know how I was going to get a job. But God, come on, I think you've got a thankfulness. Come on, I think you've got a praise. I think you can just exuberate a little bit over your covenant-keeping God right now. And I thank you for it, Jesus. That was Isaac. Come on, somebody. That was Isaac, a living testimony of the faithfulness of God. Amen. Come on, amen. Amen and amen. Amen and amen. Amen and amen. Amen and amen. He's a covenant-keeping God. 
He's faithful. He's faithful and He cannot lie. You know, I've been through some struggles in your life, but I'm here to let you know the struggles have refined you, but they do not define who you are. You might be in the struggle right now, and it's refining who you are. God is allowing you to go through this desert season to refine your faith, but I'm here to let you know it is a season. It is not a life sentence. This thing will refine you, but you will not be defined by the season of hardship. You say amen. I prophesied over you right now. I prophesied over you right now. I prophesied over you right now. This season will not define who you are. You're going to come out on the other side, shining like gold, glittering like silver. The Lord is going to glorify Himself in your life in this season of hardship. Come on, somebody, receive it. Receive it right now. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. I'm almost done. Just keep receiving it. God is doing something. The devil done lied to you. The devil is a liar. The devil is a liar. I'm going long, but I feel like I'm going good, so we're just going to keep talking for a second. I told you I'm, I'm finishing up. I'm finishing up, but God is doing something in you. Come on, let me tell you why joy breaks out in a moment like this. Let me tell you why. You find out the devil does not have the final authority over what's going to happen in your life. And when you find out, you just start to laugh. like, I cannot believe I listened to him. I cannot believe I listened to him. He's a liar. What a fool I was. What a fool I was. Like you dating a man with four girlfriends thinking he's going to be faithful. And then one day you're like, oh, oh, silly person. What was I thinking? Laugh at your own foolishness, right? You can laugh at the devil's foolishness because you just found out the truth. God is for you, not against you. Oh, hallelujah. 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 So Abraham and Isaac, hallelujah, they don't climb Mount Moriah. Hallelujah. Climb Mount Moriah. And Isaac gets bound up. They put him on the altar. And he's sitting there ready for the sacrifice. He was just lying there like, I don't know what's going on right now. Like, this is a strange deal, God. I don't know what's happening, right? He's just, he's just, he just laid on the altar on top of the wood. In verse 10 in chapter 22 says, And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord, anybody know? The angel of the Lord comes in a time of need. The angel of the Lord called him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. And he said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad. Do nothing to him. For I know you fear God since you have not withheld your son from me. For you have not withheld your son from me. Hallelujah. In the New Testament, James gives us a commentary on this verse. James chapter 2, verse 21. He says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You're like, well, wait a minute. Paul then said that he was justified by faith when he believed. And now James is saying that he was justified by works. Oh, what, 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 who is it? Are they? No, 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 no. No, 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 no. You were justified for salvation when you believe. But you're justified for a miracle-working faith when you begin to obey God 
And you begin to hear Him radically. And you begin to obey Him radically. Remember what it was like when you used to radically obey God? You remember what it was like when you thought that God could do the impossible through you? You believe when you thought all His promises were yes and amen? You believe when He spoke to you? Now, there, there, there is a time of refining of the vision. There is a time where you thought that you were going to be a rock star, and Jesus like, oh, by the way, I don't make rock stars. That was the American dream that you put my voice on. What I do, though, is I make you into a miracle worker. I do do that. So you done got some of it right. Some of it was flesh. But now you're in the purifying season so that part of me can re- be reborn. And so God is speaking through Abraham. I promised you a son with so many offspring that there's more than our stars in the sky. And he was justified. But he didn't really come into the promise till he was ready to trust God that if I were to sacrifice this thing and put it on the altar, God could do it anyways. The Bible says in Hebrews that he laid his son up there knowing that God could raise him from the dead. Stanley, if you'd come to me. It was a testing of Abraham's faith. Verse 13, it says, And Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him, stand with me if you would, and behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mountain of the Lord will provide. That's Jehovah Jireh. The Lord our provider. Now some of you today, you know the God of salvation. But you need the Lord our provider. This Mount Moriah, this mountain ridge that Abraham offered Isaac up as an offering, the very child of promise, the Bible says the the only son that you love, same phraseology used for Jesus, the same mountain ridge that Jesus was offered up on, Mount Moriah. And when you get to this place, You begin to stretch your faith. You lean into what God is calling you to rebuild. And you look for the ram in the bush. I like talking with old saints. And you tell them about the calamities happening in your life. And they're like, oh, child. Child, I remember when I thought my child was going to die and the Lord came through. thought we were going to lose the house. And the Lord rescued us. I thought I was going to get this car and it didn't happen. And the Lord brought something better. This is miracle working faith. And I'm here to tell you that's what this house is called to. This house is called to miracle working faith. But it takes faith for justification. It takes faith to keep the covenant and be faithful and it takes faith to trust that where you are God is there 
with His angels. He's doing something special in your life. You hear me? In this moment right now, I know I've kept you. But if you will lean in by faith, God is going to do something special in your life right now. If you've not received Jesus Christ your Savior, just right now, it's time. It's time. It's time. It's time to say, Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God and I receive you into my life. Just do it right now. Speak it out loud. Speak it out right now. I receive you into my life. Save me from my sin. I, I believe. Maybe you know you're saved. And it's time to be faithful. Your little powers of Babel are no longer working. And if you're in this place today and you say, I, it's time for me to be a child of the covenant. To be faithful to what God has called me to. Maybe he told you to stop looking at pornography. Maybe he told you to be faithful to the house of God. Maybe he's challenged you to tithe and you're scared. Maybe he told you need to be telling people about Jesus and you haven't done it. Maybe he told you to quit being mean to your mom. Maybe he told you to start walking out radical forgiveness. I don't know. But if that's you today, I want you to decide today I'm going to be a child of the covenant. I'm going to have faith to keep the covenant. Maybe you used to follow God, but now you're away from God. I want to call you back to be a child of the covenant. I, I wasn't playing this, but every head bowed. If you would just bow your head and close your eyes. I want to pray for you right now. If you're in one of these three situations, either you don't know God and you're ready to meet Him, or you know God but you have not been following Him, or you're away from God and you're ready to come back, just put your hand up and down real quick. I want to pray for you. Yeah, who else? Up and down. I want to pray for you. Up and down. I see you. You stand up. Amen. 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 Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I agree with these people today. And I believe for your faith. Your faith. That would anoint them. But now I want to pray for miracle working faith. That comes out of radical obedience. Radical obedience that you start living the Sermon on the Mount. So you can see these radical miracles in your life. This is what happens when you climb on that holy mountain, Mount Moriah. Here's what I want you to do. It's, it's, I'm not talking to everybody in the room. It's, we can have our, our next step person in the lobby. We love you, but I'm going to have an altar call of sorts. If you're ready to give your life to this radical place, I believe the Holy Spirit is going to be here and He's going to hear you. The angel of the Lord will be here. If that's you, I want you to respond somehow to God. Either kneel where you're at or come to the altar and say, I'm, I'm now. This is the place of offering. I'm standing in this holy ground. I want you to just respond right now. I'm going to ask Holy Spirit to come. And He's going to touch you in a, in a very significant way. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, I ask now in the name of Jesus that you would touch these people. That you would touch and you would consecrate. And that you would 
You would anoint and you would land upon them, Lord. the holy place. Yeah. 
got a word from the Lord. In this holiness, in this holiness that is the room, lies become very obvious. Some of you have believed some lies. And I want you to, number one, I want you to repent of believing the lie, and then I want you to reject the lie. And then I want you to hear the truth. I just was worshiping right here. I heard myself saying something. That goes against God's nature. I believed what that person said to me. And I thought it was a truth. That was a compromise against God's nature. I repent that I lived according to that. Forgive me, Jesus. I will not serve people's opinions. I'm going to serve you, Jesus. Sing it again and just go ahead. If you gotta go, let's you know you his presence is here. The altar is open, get free right now. On holy ground. And I know Amen. Oh, 
His face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift His countenance on you and give you peace. Father, we declare in the name of Jesus, 
you have our amen. You have our yes, sir. You have our I will obey. You have our, our I am the daughter, you are the father. You have our I am the clay, and you are the potter. We give our no to you. We no longer hold it. We give it to you. We only have our yes. We declare as a church, we're going to be a house that cultivates your presence. Your presence is more important than our time. Your presence is more important than our agenda. Your presence in bringing people into encounter your presence is who we are. And we do not turn from it. Hear me next week. The prophet Raphael comes. It's not even Raphael. I don't know why I called him that. I have another prophet friend named Raphael. And what's really weird is Prophet Raphael and Prophet Mario were best friends in Brazil. So weird. So Prophet Mario is going to be here next week. This is the launching of a new day for us. And then I got a series and I'm talking about how to walk with Jesus, how to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. So, Father, I'm just going to repeat your prayer and I'm going to bless your people. And you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. And yeah, give a clap off for the Lord. In the name of Jesus, amen and amen. Go to lunch with somebody. We're going to play a little bit of music, and you can just sit at the altar and soak in God's presence. You might want to bring your children in to get blessed. We'll bless you. In the name of Jesus, amen. We love you. I love to talk to you, but I'm, I'm working right now, so if you hang around, I'll talk. Thank you.